Hello and welcome to the Research Connection Podcast, the show that brings current expertise and cutting-edge research and connects it with users in the community. Hi, Jim. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not bad. What's going on? Mm, the same thing every other day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, welcome to our podcast and our conversation today is about how COVID-19 is impacting education. Um, my name is Michelle Lam. I'm the director of BU CARES. CARES is the Center for Aboriginal and Rural Education Studies. And I'm here with Jackie, my co-host. Jackie, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Jackie Kirk, and I am the Chair of Leadership and Educational Administration. And we have two guests with us. Burju, would you like to introduce yourself first? Sure. Uh, my name is Burjiaman Netilioğlu, and I'm the chair of the Curriculum and Pedagogy Department in the Faculty of Education. And Tim? Yes, I'm Tim Skews. I'm uh, also in the Department of Curriculum and Pedagogy in Social Studies Education. Okay, so let's get the ball rolling. I want to ask a question, what you are thinking about these days in terms of education and COVID-19? It's very broad, but what, what thoughts? are mulling around in your mind? Well, there are lots of thoughts, right? And um, COVID has definitely influenced how we live, but it has also changed uh, what we think of education. I know that this has been a question uh, that has caused us to uh, maybe revisit what we consider important and what ed education should be like. And as a parent too, not only as an educator, but I think this has been a question in my mind as a parent as well, right? All educators had to respond immediately, start teaching online, and they had to think about how they wanted to deliver their content. But then now that those first panic kind of, oh, how am I going to deliver my course through these online digital platforms, and uh, now that that's slowing down that panic and we're learning and becoming a little bit more comfortable with the technologies, I think more and more teachers are thinking about, okay, what content really matters in addition to how, what might be the best way of delivering that? So I think that's something that I've been noticing in the past couple of weeks. One of the things I've been thinking about and just sort of as a response to on Friday, we met to talk about where we would go forward with our teaching in fall, given, you know, the parameters that we have with the pandemic. When I left the meeting, the thing that was so significant to me was that when we talked about, okay, so if we're back in the building, these are the things we're going to have to observe. And as I thought more and more about those things that we would have to observe in, what does post-pandemic classroom look like, it became apparent to me that I'm maybe achieving all of the things online that I can achieve in the face-to-face -face classroom, given the parameters that we have been set in place. They have to stay two meters apart. We're going to want them attached to one desk. We're going to want them to have as little movement around the classroom as possible. And in my opinion, that just changes education. And so I, I felt a tension between people that were more comfortable with online and people that were more comfortable in the classroom. Yeah, I think, um, well, a couple of things have struck me. One is uh, when I think about the diversity 
of, of what's possible in people's homes. If parents are single and they're working, or you have two parents. So the complexity of how we can be with our families in times where we're divided into to, to multiple tasks, that's, that's one thing that's really struck me, um, that when we, when we gather at school in a certain, in a public, it, we assume certain things, and, and those things aren't replicated in the home. The second thing that I think has been very interesting, and perhaps more by way of a reminder, that the, the knowledge that we have in, in, our, in the human world, in the non-human world, it's, it's fragile. And it's, it's always open for new understandings. And, I, and one of the things that COVID-19, it has thrust us into this, the limitations of our knowledge and the fragility of the lives that we live. And so it's not that we get to control the world uh, with our methods and strategies of what we're going to teach, but the thing bears down on us and demands that we respond to these kinds of questions. For example, how are we to live well as a citizen during these times? that we see demonstrations that um, disregard uh, social distancing or the cues that we've, as communities, are attempting to agree upon. How are scientists working together to come up with a vaccine? It's competitive, uh, nations won't work together, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, these are the kinds of things that interrupt or they burst asunder ways of working that we, we are reminded of these times of how we ought to live well together in a world. I really responded internally or emotionally to something you said right at the beginning, Tim, about how sending everybody home to learn really exacerbated the imbalance of access to education and the imbalance of support that people have in the real world. Like we try to balance those things at school. In the classroom, we do as be the best that we can to balance them, but it's really drawn out some of those pieces or some of those points that, you know, we weren't paying enough attention to, that uh, there really wasn't equity. And I guess the other thing um, that contributes is, you know, how, how do we deal with uncertainty? You know, in the, in the face of all of our everyday practices within schools and within homes, within our own homes, when all of that has changed, you know, we had to think about, okay, now what is most important for, like how, how uh, the questions of like uh, Tim mentioned, right? How do we respond to that question of, okay, how do we live during this time? How do we live best and ethically and responsibly during these pandemic uh, times? And what does it mean to be an ethical global citizen? But also, what, what does it, you know, um, what are the most important key curriculum questions that are most worth for us to explore with our students? All of those all of these questions are become important. And I mentioned that word uncertainty because there is uncertainty about the information that we know about the virus. There's uncertainty about this, if the schools are going to close or open. And as parents and as teachers, we, we kind of sometimes acted as if there is a kind of certainty in life, right? We wanted to when, a, let's say, a child is afraid of the dark and, and they reach the parent, right, and say, oh, I'm, I'm, the lights are turned off and they're afraid and they say, 
I'm afraid the parent usually has the tendency, and I'm sure we're familiar with that scene where the parent turns on the light, says, well, there's nothing to be afraid of here, right? Like, it's just us. And, um, and we want to give that sense of comfort to the kids. And during certain times like this one, it's, it's hard to talk about certainty. So then what are we modeling to our kids when times are uncertain? It's, it's really how we comport ourselves during this time. And I think this pandemic has reminded us that, that uncertainty. We're educating students for times, um, the jobs that we're preparing our students for, for the future, we don't know what some of those jobs might be like. We want to start with a kind of curriculum that we think might support them best, but it's never 100% sure. What do you think is required for that to work? Like I'm thinking about all of you mentioned this sort of prioritizing process, right? Whether you're prioritizing content and you're a teacher, like what do I really need to focus on? Or as a parent, thinking about you know, what, what do I need to model for my family during this time? So how do we create the space that's necessary to be imagining something that's different than what we've always had when it is so uncertain? What's required for us to be able to focus on and ask the questions that we need to ask in the middle of COVID-19? I think that's really important, Michelle. And I think one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is this idea of belonging, that we always belong to a time and a place, and we're always historically embedded. So I think when I ponder what schools are like, they're common places that we entrust our children to go to every day. And one of the things that, that has really struck me is the way we've organized schools, um, and I don't mean to, that they're all homogenized, but there's a traditional or predominant narrative that we tell ourselves with about schools. But their answers to questions that could have been answered otherwise. It's turned out this way, not by necessity, but by possibility. And I think one of the things when we sit in the stillness and we have a chance to linger, we can say, what are the things that we want to clasp more firmly in the constructions that we have? Which ones might we let go? And which ones might we modify? So it puts, it, it puts us in question to the very constructions that we've, the everydayness of our lives sometimes, it's, it's the mundane right? It's, they become, well, that's where we do things around here. So again, I think it's the, to, to directly respond to your question, Michelle, it's can we withstand to be in question of the very constructs that we've put in place to respond to questions of what it is to live a good life? What is it to be educated? What is it to be a teacher? I think we ought to sit, take this time and sit and, and, and allow us to trouble them, put, get on the rough ground with these questions again. And we need to ask if we're the if we're the people to be asking those questions too. Like all of us have succeeded in this system, right? And so it sometimes feels like if you're questioning the system that has built you, it's a bit of deconstructing yourself as well, right? Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think sometimes the things that we engage in are unconscious to us. So I think we have to seek out this almost this radical alterity about otherwise. How might we think otherwise? And we need a multiplicity of voices to, to interrupt these well-grooved pathways that we've come to be accustomed to living. I love when Madeline Rumey says curriculum is the child of culture. So curriculum can be anything. We can inquire into anything in our lived life. And I think 
Tim and I have talked quite a bit about that and how our curriculum is closely related to the world and the worldliness of that curriculum and the abundance in that curriculum. Education can really be anything, but I think for the longest time in the educational system, we've, we've really wanted to work from a known set of basics that need to be taught to every child. However, now, both in the theoretical world and also in the classroom, students, teachers, and scholars are questioning whether that is the right approach, right? How can we individualize learning more? You know, looking at every object in nature, every living thing in nature and explore that, if that's the area that the child is interested. If the child is interested in something else, I know like my boys have been interested in many different things. We've been watching a lot of movies about the perspectives of animals about certain situations, right? Uh, it all came from just one homework, but it took us to a completely different direction. I think the, the beauty in, in this is that if the goal of education is to instill that sense of wonder and curiosity to develop critical and creative thinking so that we learn with enthusiasm and sustain our love of learning throughout life and we want them to be lifelong inquirers and learners, this gives us a unique opportunity. This has helped us to question our taken for granted understandings about the things that we do in our lives, both in education and also at our home. My kids have been showing more interest to cooking with me, right? Or cooking as a family. It's, it's been really a, an interesting thing to explore with us, learning about different names of different ingredients, right? Uh, it can start with simple things and some of them can lead to big inquiries as well. But how much do we allow ourselves to, to trouble some of our understandings? And it's not all comfortable, too. Can I just say something first, Borju? I really yeah. like that you bring up the point that you're taking the freedom to, you know, go in a different direction from whatever the teacher has sent home. And I'm not a parent, so I come from a different perspective. But what I understand is that if I was the teacher and having to send things home, I'd just be doing my best in trying to figure out what it was. And I love that you're taking it and making it something that's important for your kids. And I think all parents should feel free to do that. And I think teachers notice that too, and they encourage kids. So I'm, I'm happy that uh, this became a time where everybody collectively is allowing for students to go to the places that they need to go, which is really changing what, what coming back to uh, Michelle's question about, you know, what, what are those main things, basic concepts that need to be taught, it is really changing. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I hearken back to my early days when I first started teaching high school, Michelle, with that question, and one of the things that I found um, as a high school social studies teacher that I got, I think I got caught up in the swirl of the frenetic pace of schooling. And instead of thinking about the topics I was teaching, I was doing school. And I, I actually taught history and geography, and often as an abstraction. 
So I would ask the students to turn to page 86 and fill out retrieval charts. And I'm not, I'm not demeaning or denigrating that there's a place and role for that, but I stopped thinking and exercising my judgment in what I was asking students to do. So I, I think what, what I'd like to return to is the phenomena of how students are experiencing the world. And I think when we think about students experiencing the phenomena of COVID-19 or other things that they're confronted with as these times are shifting. I think what it demands of me at this time as a teacher and, and as a parent is how, how do we cultivate an ear to listen to how what our, the young are saying to us? I was listening to this one woman speak on um, CBC radio. They, their family was traveling and she, was, she had allocated time both both her husband, both her and her husband were both teachers. And they said, well, we're, we plan to have two hours each day that we're going to teach. We're going to do school. And she realized very quickly that, that, that she couldn't hold to that. And then the world became curriculum, as Berju alluded to, that when they went to the fish market, what kind of fish is this? How much does it weigh? What does it cost? So all of a sudden, the interdisciplinary of our lives is confronted with a trip to the market. And how do we listen to the young what questions they have of the world. And I think what, as a parent and as a teacher, I think, how do we hear otherwise? That it's not what I render the world, it's what the young are asking us. And perhaps if we listen well enough, they will contribute a verse as to how we might live well in post-pandemic times and pandemic times, that they will have ways to see this world that you and I can't alone. So I guess it's this, this, this engrossed listening of, in, of paying attention, not in a lackadaisical sense, but a leaning towards them. I think that's really beautiful, both the concept and the way you articulated it. I have a question that's geared towards the post-pandemic sort of back-to-business projection. We see in different provinces, schools are starting to reopen. They're taking this sort of staggered approach. But it looks like as you follow down that progression that the goal is to get back to normal. And so my question is, how can we capture what we're learning in this stage all of these imaginations that are being inspired, how can we capture this so that we keep the good as we move forward? I think that's an important question because I think we have yet to confront what normal is going to be. And I know lots of people are getting tired of talking about the new normal. And we hear lots of pushback in social media about the new normal. But truly, that's what I was confronted with in the meeting on Friday was that I realized, oh, this isn't going to be what I'm imagining. I have to think about, you know, what is the best within the parameters that we have? That's a great question. One of the things I would, I would love us to keep is that attention to that local global connection that this experience has taught us. Now, um, many of us are really intently listening to all the new uh, information that comes out from different parts of the world. We're being more compassionate because we feel like we're co-solving this together. There's that sense of solidarity that different parts of the world, of course, of course, not everybody is experiencing this Similarly, there are certain people and certain communities that have been more vulnerable to this than others. So we're paying, we're noticing those. We're noticing uh, more which communities 
are in the margin, which communities might be experiencing this uh, suffering, with, what kind of support can we... So this attentiveness that we have here, I hope that we'll be able to keep that and be mindful of the world around us and really center that and keep that in, at the heart of our curriculum so that our future generations are always aware because now we've learned that we can really no longer afford to not pay attention to the other's experiences or to the experiences of the people around the world because it might eventually impact us significantly, all the decisions that goes on. I'm, I'm hoping that we are realizing that the self and the other is really interconnected and that the more we understand and listen and keep open to hearing the experiences of others, we can become better communicators, critical thinkers. We can become more knowledgeable listening to these different perspectives. And we can become more principled and open-minded and caring. And sometimes this requires risk-taking because it really challenges us to, to change or to revisit our taken-for-granted understandings about the worlds, about ourselves, and about others. So it really makes us more reflective. Yeah, as soon as you asked that question, Michelle, I, I zoomed right back to a professor that can kind of continues to sit on my shoulder. And he would say that he uses image of a balloon that when you put your finger inside of a balloon and you push it out, it has a way you, you can manipulate the form of the balloon. But as soon as you withdraw your finger, it snaps back to the quote unquote norm, right? The things contract back. When we speak of norms, we speak of them as these things out there that ha they have their way with us. And I guess I would really want to say that the norms are not fixed or stable constructs. They absolutely need to be um, part, to, they, they, they're going to be worked out in conversation. They're yet to be determined. I think this idea that we belong to this world and just unfolds and that it's, it, it doesn't have its way with us. So I think how do we stay earnest in the ongoing conversation that's, that exceeds or eludes the mastery that we, we're never gonna master how we're going to live well together but we do keep it in, in constant question. And perhaps we'll come to sit on and rest in places that are more ecological, that they are interdependent, interrelational, that actually push us in a way of living that's not fragmented and isolated, but absolute back to the basic is something around a conversation of memory, of place, of traditions, of inheritances, of experiences, that these things are always in flux. How might we lovingly embrace that flux rather than try to stabilize the very things that um, I think COVID-19 has showed us that we can't. This is the author that I've been thinking about during these times, and I don't mean to co-opt his thinking, but the gentleman, um, his name is Jonathan Lear. He wrote a book called Radical Hope. And I think the radical part of hope that he's, he's referring to is how do we have hope for a future that is not yet knowable, that we don't have the constructs to talk about that. And I don't think there's anything more enchanting than for us, along with the young, to have notions of radical hope, that we're going to create constructs, that we're going to learn to live well together with one another. And I think the radical part of hope, I think, is in a very endearing concept, I think, for education. 
it's also really important to think about radical love towards our planet, towards, uh, towards each other. We're understanding how important that is. And not just human-human relationships, but human-nature relationships. There has been so many examples of how the nature started to change around us during this time, right? And so, so that reconciliation with the nature and being more cognizant of that has been important too. And also recognizing that this is also a time of challenge. And um, we, there is also that thing that is called the fatigue of this really um, uncertainty and not knowing. So appreciating that too and allowing ourselves to feel and talk about that too is important. So I wouldn't want us to sound, oh, this has been only great but we hope that there will be a future and there will be some pieces of important learning uh, through this experience. Jackie as someone who's the administrator of our group does all of this sort of strike you as something that's possible or would you be thinking about how would this work in practical terms? I think it always has to be possible and I am right on Tim's page when he talks about what we had in the past was something we constructed and what we will have in the future will be something that we constructed and we have to be open to listen we have to be open to believe that the future will be something that is valuable and good and that I think relationships are really at the heart of it and I think we need to listen we talked about listening and leaning in and listening to kids and listening to adults and listening to people who have different situations and different perspectives. And I think going forward from administrative point of view, uh, we have to construct schools in a way that is going to work for our future. This was a great conversation. Thank you very much. I've learned lots and I've thought about lots of things that I wasn't thinking about when I sat down today, so. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Research Connection podcast. You can visit our website for links to everything that was mentioned in the episode and for more Research Connection content at www.brandonu.ca slash bu-cares. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you can stay up to date with current research that impacts your community. Thank you.